welcome to Steadfast tonight. We're beginning a brand new series tonight. I can't wait to share it with you. We're going to be going to a series called The Spirit of Christmas. Here we are on the second day of Advent, a season that we prepare our hearts as we think about the miracle of Christmas. And as we do that, we're going to be thinking over these weeks of, of how the Holy Spirit has prepared for us. Because we see the Spirit woven throughout the story of Christmas as we think about God's Spirit and how God's Spirit has worked to bring about salvation for us, it helps us to see how this story, the story that we love to come back to, is a story that speaks to what we are facing today and what we hope for tomorrow. Will you join me in prayer and ask that God would set our hearts in the direction that he wants us as we return to his word tonight? Father, thank you for the goodness of your love. Thank you for the goodness of, of Christmas, the, the miracle that we celebrate on that day, the miracle that you would come into this world. The very Son of God would, would come and walk amongst us and, and take the punishment that we didn't that we should have had, that we didn't deserve to be relieved from. And that that your very spirit would dwell in us. Lord, as we turn to your word tonight, would you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would see and hear what you would have us to focus on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be thinking about the Holy Spirit. And, and normally there are lots of, of figures that we, we, we look at from the Christmas story. We, we of course, look at Mary and Joseph. We, we have Herod and the wise men. All these different people, the shepherds that we, we think about a lot. But have you noticed something about all of them? I think I can say with confidence that you haven't met any of them. Why? Well, because they lived 2,000 years ago. And, and as wonderful as it is, and as wonderful as the, their parts in the story are, and as much as we should cherish and celebrate them, sometimes it can feel a little distant. Yeah, we, we can celebrate on this, this season or this one day of the year what happened what happens the other 364 days of the year? How does that play out? You think about our, our very way that we observe Christmas and we, we go through the year. Doesn't it almost feel like the year is all building up to this moment? You think about it, we start in January and it's cold. We're kind of in the doldrums. It's, it's, it's dark. All the lights from the previous Christmas have been taken down and it just feels bland, quiet, maybe a little depressing. And then, and then we get to February, and it's still pretty dark, and it's still really cold. It often seems to snow more in February than January. It just feels like we're not really going anywhere. But then we start to see a little more light, and then the first spring flowers show up, and then the trees start to have leaves, and then suddenly we're at Memorial Day, and there's festivities, and people start traveling, and there's pool parties, and, and then we get to Fourth of July and beautiful fireworks, and it just keeps rolling along until suddenly we're in fall, and and then all the wonderful fall treats appear, the pumpkin spice things, the, the, the wonderful just pumpkins around as decorations, and, and just wonderful fall festivities, all the way culminating into Thanksgiving that we celebrated last week and the great feasting that we, we did and the wonderful desserts. And just it's just wonderful. And then here we are at Christmas. And, and really, we've been anticipating Christmas for how long? Because, sure, it, it comes now after Thanksgiving, but, but Hallmark premiered their new ornaments back in July, and, and most stores have had stuff out for months now for Christmas. And, and why do they do that? It's 
Well, because we are ready to buy it. We go out and we buy stuff months ahead of time because even if we grumble a little, boy, it sure seems like they put this stuff out early or, or whatever, we're really excited because we've been building this way all year long. And here we are now. Now we're at Christmas. And then we'll get to Christmas Day and we'll reset again. It's one of the reasons I, I love doing the 12 days of Christmas to slow us down a little. But we need to do more than just slow down and, and spread Christmas out for 12 days. We need to see that, that Christmas isn't a day that we spend the year building up to and then we reset and start over again every year and we get to Jesus' birth every year and we celebrate it and then we start over. Christmas is a season of preparation for the beginning of everything that God is calling us to do beyond it. Christmas preparations aren't preparing for something that's the end in itself. Christmas itself is a season to celebrate the beginning, the beginning of something that God was going to come into the world and do. Christmas didn't end. Christmas started what God was going to do to redeem his people. And, and so it is that the first gospel we're going to look at, we're going to look at a different gospel each week during this series. We're going to start with Mark. And, and Mark's maybe a less traditional place to start a Christmas series because he doesn't actually talk about the Christmas story. But he does talk about what Christmas is launching us into. So now if you have your Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter 1? We'll go and see what Mark has to tell us. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way, the, vo the voice of one crying, out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Not quite what we normally think about at Christmas, is it? I mean, locusts and wild honey... I have a feeling if you have a Christmas party this year and you put out a, a platter of hors d'oeuvres and it's locusts and wild honey, you might get a few fewer guests next year. That's not what we think of at Christmas, right? We have nice shepherds and fluffy sheep and, and, and the manger that we've turned into this really pretty nice place to be, even though it was an old smelly barn. We've turned it into this nice place to be. We've made this nice, fluffy, warm, wonderful way of looking at Christmas, and here we're dealing with this somewhat unusual man out in the wilderness. But that somewhat unusual man out in the wilderness is telling us about the one whom we celebrate being born that day. You see, John came to point to Jesus, and from the very beginning of his life, it was to be that John would be one whom the Holy Spirit spoke through. Listen to what the angel says of John before his birth in Luke chapter 1. It says, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel 
the Lord their God. What do we learn? Before John is even born, we learn that John is going to be one whom the Holy Spirit speaks through. And we see that, for example, in the story of when Mary comes and sees Elizabeth, John's mother. And, and this is before John is born and before Jesus is born. And in that wonderful story in Luke that we'll look at in a few weeks, John leaps for joy before he's even born at the mere presence of his unborn Savior. John, from the very moment that he came into existence, was a messenger of the Holy Spirit. In, in, in a very real sense, he was the culmination of what the prophets had been doing for centuries. The prophets had been declaring, as the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they would declare the coming of the Lord. They'd speak of the salvation that was coming to God's people. They would point the people to it. And here John shows up. And then in this moment that we see at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, John says, that one is here. I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. But he's going to give you a gift. We talk a lot about gifts at Christmas, but, but John talks about the most wonderful gift of all, which is that Jesus is going to give his Holy Spirit to the people. That, that the spirit that would rest upon the prophets, the spirit that was resting upon John, that was enabling him to declare the coming of the Lord, that spirit of God is going to dwell in the hearts of his people. And you think about that, and, and you think about these prophecies that were pointing to Jesus' birth, and, you, and then you look at, at Jesus' birth and his ministry, and you think, why wasn't there more rejoicing? Why weren't people just head over heels excited? Why weren't they jumping up and down? And whatever Christmas parties we might have, whatever festivities we might have for, for all the holidays in the year smashed together into one, why weren't they doing all that all at once? Well, they'd forgotten that what they'd been going through was preparations towards something. Just as sometimes when we're preparing for Christmas, we're getting all the decorations out and we're buying gifts and we're inviting people and we're going to see people and we're doing all this stuff. Wonderful stuff. Good things. But we're doing all this stuff. And we forget that Christmas is actually the launch pad where God comes into the world to save us and to send us. That, that these preparations aren't towards an end in itself on Christmas Day. And, and the people back then had fallen into that same trap. They, they'd gotten busy in the preparations, and, and some of them are very good preparations. John was calling them to the preparation of repentance. Melanie talked about that last night during our Advent wreath lighting. And, and John here in this passage that she had read last night as well is calling the people to repentance. And it's a wonderful thing. He's saying, set aside those sins. Don't allow them to ensnare you any longer. Be baptized to represent a, a new self that's walked away from those sins. And some of the people were doing that. And many of the people of, of the time, even those that, that weren't necessarily interested in John, had been studying God's word and hearing what the prophets were saying and, and trying to obey God's law. All these wonderful preparations. But then when the Lord actually came, they were so busy making the preparations into the end itself, they missed out on what God was doing. They were lifting Moses up on a pedestal and Elijah up on a pedestal, or maybe even John up on a pedestal. And then they didn't see the Lord himself coming. They needed to keep their eye on what was important. 
They needed to keep their eye beyond the preparations and see the preparations as a means to an end, a good means, a wonderful means, a nourishing means, but not the end in itself. Reminds me of when my grandma would go out to eat. And my grandma, something that anyone who was around here for any length of time at all learned very quickly is she was someone who loved dessert. She made fantastic desserts, and then when she'd go out to eat, she was looking for fantastic desserts. And, and so it was, you'd arrive at a restaurant, and what would she do? Well, she'd flip to the page in the menu that had the desserts. Because what she wanted to do was make sure that she knew if the desserts were worth anticipating, and, and whether they were big or small or whatever it might be, so that then, then she could plan the rest of her meal around that dessert. She had her eyes focused on what she knew was important, which was that wonderful dessert at the end of the meal. And, and yes, the, the entree was going to be nourishing. It might even be delicious. It, it, it could very well be good, but she didn't want it to get in the way of the dessert. Sometimes our preparations are getting in the way of the dessert of God's grace that he's pouring out in us. And so what we need to see is that, that the repentance that we do, the, the study of God's word, the Christmas decorations we, we put up, everything is pointing us to what God is doing and will do doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop on December 25th. It doesn't stop on Epiphany a few weeks later. Repentance isn't the end. Repentance is the start of the story. And so John is getting the people ready that, that God is, in some sense, beginning again with his people. He's, he's going to carry his people that he'd formed millennia before. He's going to carry them with him. He's going to invite them into this larger story. He's going to invite more people into this larger story. But in that invitation, in that repentance that we're still called to today, that's the starting point of the story, not the end. Just as Christmas is the starting point of that move that God is doing. We repent and then we experience the Holy Spirit coming into our lives so that we feel the fullness of God's grace, that we're able to actually be in God's presence, that he adopts us as his children. It's not the end. Now, some of the people that encountered John didn't really understand that fully, and they, they were sincere. They heard John's call to repent. They responded to it. They were so excited about it. They were so excited about what God was doing that they were known as disciples. But they didn't know who Jesus was. And we see a group of those people in Acts chapter 19. This is during Paul and Apollos' travels. And it says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is happening there? Here you have people who have heard that call to repent. They've recognized that they need to repent, something that all of us need to do. But they're ready to hear when the word of the Lord comes and says, but that's not the end. That's the beginning. You need to keep going. You need to actually understand that that repentance isn't something in and of itself. That repentance is, is a preparation. 
to that wonderful banquet you're being invited to, to that wonderful dessert that God has in store for each of us. And so when Paul explains to them that, okay, so now you've had this baptism of repentance, but now come and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Be baptized in that full picture of, of what God is doing. They do because they want the rest. That's what God calls us to as well, because he's preparing his people. He's been preparing from the very beginning of this story that starts at Christmas. And before that, as the prophets foretold it, he's preparing not only to renew his people, but then to prepare to invite us to be part of his campaign, to, to witness what he is doing as the king that doesn't come from above just to come down and be honored and showered with praise and and live a comfortable life, but a king who comes into the, the dirty, dingy horrors of war and takes on that war for us. Let's take a look at verses 9 to 11 back in Mark chapter 1. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a, whole, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We're told that the heavens are, are torn open. That's the, the word that Mark uses. They're, they're ripped open. Why are they ripped open? So that the festivities can come down. So the testimony of whom it is that's standing there before John can be revealed. It's not that, that Jesus receives the Holy Spirit in that moment. Jesus is already God. He doesn't need his own spirit. What's happening then? Well, it's a coronation ceremony. It's, it's a celebration that the king has arrived and is ready to take his rightful place. He comes before John, and John is, is functioning in that role as the one leading that, that ceremony, celebrating the coming of the king. Every once in a while, we'll, we'll see a ceremony like that in this world where where a king or a queen rises to a throne and takes it, and there's all kinds of pomp and circumstance and celebration. Well, that's what heaven's doing here. And in that, in, in those ceremonies, there's always all kinds of important symbolic words that, that point to the calling of that ruler, their power and their authority and, and, and their purpose. And we see that from the father, too, as he speaks of the son standing there in the river Jordan. And we see that because as he declares those words upon him, they're actually referencing two Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, except that people didn't always understand that they were tied together. We see that by looking at Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Let's take a look there now. It says, I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Then when we turn to Isaiah 42, we read, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So what are we seeing here? Well, in that first psalm, that psalm is, is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that, that celebrated the giving of the king of the Davidic line to, to the people of Israel, but more than that, to the ultimate heir of it. And as the father declares in that voice from heaven above, declares over the son, you are my son whom I'm well pleased. You are my son that echoes back those words and says, this is the king. He's here. But then as the spirit descends and he speaks of his pleasure upon him, it ties it into 
the song of the servant as well in Isaiah. And in that, we, we see sort of an unlikely combination being brought together because on the one hand, there's the pomp and the circumstance and the wonder of, a, of royalty in, in the psalm. But on the other side with Isaiah, there's suffering, there's pain, there's rejection. Because this isn't a king like the kings of the world that we know. Kings looking out for themselves and their own advantage. This king who's coming, this king who came, this king who's with us now, the king who goes and confronts the war that we really need fought. And we see that immediately after this, Mark says immediately after. Take a look at verse 12. It says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Where is he going in the wilderness? He's going to encounter Satan, to go through the temptation that he faces with Satan. Why? Because he's a king ready for battle. As that coronation ceremony is just ending, the, the balloons are still falling and the confetti and the horns are still sounding. Jesus is already rushing out of the, the royal hall to go fight the battle, to fight the enemy that was attacking. Christmas itself, not just this moment with John, but Christmas itself years before. That the birth of Jesus is a single giant movement from that moment that's been foretold for millennia, that movement from, from Jesus' birth to the cross, to his resurrection, and ultimately to the restoration that he's giving us. It's all tied together. Now the people missed who Jesus was then, and sometimes we frequently, sometimes, not just sometimes, frequently today, we still miss who he really is because we want a king for the moment. You see, the people saw an enemy in front of them, and they were very clear on who their enemy was. Their enemy was Rome. Rome oppressed them. Rome didn't allow them to function as an independent nation. Rome demanded heavy taxes. Rome did all kinds of horrible things, and they wanted a king who was going to come in and fight that enemy for them. And they looked at Jesus, and he wasn't doing that. But what do we see here? Here we see that Jesus is fighting a much greater enemy. Rome would come and go, and, and had they been given a king who could have victory over Rome, what would have happened? Well, Rome someday would pass away, but a new enemy would have emerged. As we've seen time and again, empires rise and fall. Earthly treasures decay. But they were going to receive, and we receive a king who doesn't fight that battle, the, the battle of the moment for us, whatever our perceived enemies may be fights the enemy that really is facing each and every one of us, the devil. He fights away and tears away the sin that ensnares us. And he sets us up for something so much more. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's why Christmas itself is a preparation. It reminds us of what God has already done. So we're ready to see what God is doing and to be used by God in the, in the midst of that. And not to become too contented in the moment. It's good to take it in and, and rejoice and be refreshed, but then we keep going. Sort of like the way it is for me with Christmas trees. I, I have a, a tree here. I really like this little tree. And this tree reminds me about just trees in general. I love Christmas trees. And I, I love Christmas trees just like this. No lights, no decorations, just a, a nice little Christmas tree. I can't remember how many years ago, as long as I can remember basically, it became a tradition in my family that we'd put up the big Christmas tree every year and we put some lights on it, but we wouldn't immediately put the ornaments up. We'd just take in the beauty of the tree. And, and since I love trees so much, and Christmas trees and trees in general, I, I've become very contented at that. And I, I almost forget how wonderful it is to have the ornaments. I, I'm just happy to have the tree itself and, and could remain there. 
But what happens when you get out the ornaments and, and you start to take out these ornaments that you've treasured in the past that some maybe have been given by friends and family, some that commemorate special moments in your life. And you put those on a tree and you start to see all that can be on the tree and and to, to really admire the beauty, not only of the tree then, but then all those wonderful memories and and times past that are on it as well and Christmases past. It becomes even more wonderful. And, and for me, I think, wow, this I was so contented and yet I'm so glad that I'm experiencing this now. Well, for, for us in this life, so often we become contented with the undecorated tree. We see these preparations that we have for Christmas. We put the tree up and it's beautiful and we become contented there. But as we think about our lives and what God's doing and where he's calling us, he's calling us to see that the tree is being decorated right now. The tree has, needs more ornaments on it. It needs more people in his kingdom and in, in the celebration that will be to come. And he commissions us to do it because just as John had that Holy Spirit, just as the prophets had that Holy Spirit, that same Spirit, the one Spirit of God, he is there for us today. And as we trust in Jesus, whether it's for the first time or, or we've been spending a lifetime following him, as we trust in him, that Spirit, he's right there nudging at us saying, Keep decorating that tree. Declare the goodness of the promises of Christmas. Not to build everybody up so we can get to Christmas Day and have a really nice celebration. But to see that Christmas Day itself is a beachhead. It's a push. We need to keep putting more ornaments on it so that someday, someday we'll see the full, beautiful, completed tree. The tree that will come in God's presence when he restores the entirety of the world. And, and we come before him, the family of God, that beautiful, adorned tree. Are we overly contented? Are we overly contented in just preparing for this Christmas and, and making sure everything's right, the place settings, the, and, and making sure that the right people are invited and that family stays at peace and everything is really good for this moment? Is that what we're preparing for this Christmas? Are we using this time of preparation for this particular holiday as a way of preparing our hearts all the more to see what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do all the year long? the 364 days that aren't Christmas plus Christmas Day. Too often we see Christmas as the goal. We, we see the nativity as the end. But Christmas is the voice crying in the wilderness, just like John. As people come and, and celebrate Christmas, even people that don't often celebrate things from the scriptures, what a wonderful thing it is that that voice is crying out in the wilderness saying, make way the path of the Lord. Repent, for he is near. Because indeed he is near, he's coming again, and we're called to declare that in the meantime. The nativity is the beginning. But the end, that beautiful adorned tree is coming. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the promises that we know are still to come. And Lord, would you forgive us when we become too contented that, that we look at the preparations for this Christmas and we're contented simply if the holiday works out okay no one's upset everyone's at peace and maybe we, we spend a little time in your word and, and hear a few of your promises and we treasure those forgive us when we move on Lord would you help us as we prepare this year to see it as preparation for another year of being the voices that declare your promises and if we haven't yet trusted in you Lord may this Christmas be the Christmas we we carry Christmas on with us by following you, 
by declaring that that we too, just like those people in Acts 19, want the Holy Spirit. And then we receive your Spirit. And then will you empower us, both those who've been following long and, and just now, to go and declare that more beautiful ornaments, the lives of your people, might be decorating that tree in all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that encouraged you tonight. It's so wonderful when you think about it that the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit working 2,000 years ago, is there for you today. He's right there, ready for you. If this has been an encouragement to you, please give us a like or a share. You can help us to get the good news of what Christmas is really about out. That God's redemption is here and his restoration is coming. And there's so much more coming in the following weeks that we're going to use to prepare our hearts and to reflect on that. So check out the address that you see on screen. You can go to Little Hill's Christmas page and see all the wonderful things we have going. We have an Advent reading plan that's going on right now. We're in Matthew chapter 2. We're going through all the Gospel of Matthew this month, just reflecting on who Jesus is and what he's doing and what he sends us to do. We have another Advent wreath lighting on, on Sunday night and all throughout Advent at 7.30. You, you don't want to miss that either. Just so many wonderful times. I hope that you'll make a point to, to celebrate with us. We have a lot of wonderful opportunities to do that. If there's any way I can be praying for you or encourage you in the midst of that, feel free to shoot me an email or send me a, a comment in the comments below and we can pray for each other uh, either way. It's wonderful to hear from you. It's wonderful when we think about that God is still sending us. And I can't wait to continue this series next week. In the meantime, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday, and I just want to mention again, if you'd be willing to consider supporting us, uh, giving a gift one time or recurring, giving us a pledge at the address on screen, you can help us because we're a church. We're not just building towards Christmas Day, as exciting as it is. We're building this word something more. We're looking forward to a new year in 2022 when we launch in-person services and when we, when we support missionaries and we do all kinds of wonderful things because we're God's people called to proclaim his gospel. And so you can certainly help by giving. You can help by praying for us as well in this ministry. And you can help by just being a part and giving me an opportunity to pray for you as well. I really would love to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I can't wait to dig back into this series with you as we turn to the Gospel of Matthew next week. Have a blessed week.